the courting, dating phase of life is an interesting time in a relationship. We often naturally serve, respect, honor that special person we are with. We may even begin to act a little bit out of character, like start writing love poems, or write long letters, or have long conversations over the phone for hours, talking about our goals, our passions, our desires, etc. We just become different. And then we get married. Some of the odd, unnatural behaviors that we started displaying, like writing poetry, gift-giving, and long conversations, begin to lessen, begin to dwindle. Life changes. We become different. The honeymoon phase is over, you may. We may hear words like, you aren't the same person you used to be before we got married. And often these words hurt, but they are totally true. We are typically very different people when we are courting, dating someone. I mean, think about it. When we're in the dating phase, there just seems to be a little more excitement in the air, a little more color in the sky. We have more energy and motivation. Spending time with this person gives us satisfaction. We are getting self-fulfillment, self-gratification out of just being in the relationship. We are on what we would call a spiritual or emotional high. Emotional high, not spiritual high. An emotional high. And when we do something for them, it feeds us as well. It is easy to serve when I am emotionally being fed myself. What I'm saying is that when we serve our future spouse, we really are serving ourselves as well. We may not realize this, but often the reason why we marry someone is not because we love them so much, but because we love ourselves so much. Why did you marry your spouse. A typical answer is they make me happy or they make me a better person or my life is just better with them in my life. These answers all center around who? Self. A focus on self. That is why marriage is so hard because the dust settles, the high euphoric warm feelings dissipate, we become ourselves once again. You know who we really were before we started dating and courting that person. In marriage, then, we are faced with doing the right things because we are called to or because we're supposed to, not because we're emotionally being fed any longer. For example, the good emotions I once had when I washed the dishes for my soon-to-be spouse now are gone, and I'm often just faced with the fact that I am called to wash the dishes for my wife because I love the Lord. 
Another example would be studying the Bible with my soon-to-be wife. When we are being fed emotionally, it's easy. It's fun to read God's Word with them. But now after we are married, it is much harder to stick with it. The good feelings have often stopped flowing. And we are faced with the commitment again to Christ and my wife to continue to study God's Word. The motivation for self is gone. And now I am faced with my love and devotion to Christ to spur me on. What I'm saying is many of the things that feed us individually, doing certain things with this person before we were married, we were getting fed emotionally. And now those same very things that I'm doing in my marriage, now I have to do to die to self instead of being fed self. Christ asks us this question this morning. If we will love him, more than we love ourselves, which leads to point number one. Point number one says marriage gives us ample opportunities to love God and others like we love ourselves. Let me say that again. Point number one says marriage gives us ample opportunities to love God and others like we love ourselves. This is similar to what Jesus said when he said to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love biblically, we have to remember, is demonstrated by what we focus on, what we live for, what we give our time and energy to. And Jesus is saying, The way you already focus on yourself, love God as much as you love yourself and focus on him and others that very same way. And this takes us to our final text on marriage. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 5.33 this morning. And in the future weeks to come, we will focus on family and then we're going to go to parenting. Because that's where Paul goes in Ephesians 6. So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We honor you, Father. We recognize that marriage is such a blessing. But oh, how you use it to sanctify us and change us and help us to learn to love one another. Help us to learn to respect one another, Father, as your word commands that we do so. Help us to be Married couples, help us to be individuals who truly are obeying your word and walking with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Paul reiterates the same idea to husbands on loving their wives. So again, Ephesians 5.33. And he's concluding his subject of marriage, his topic here. And he first looks to the husbands and he says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So Paul concludes by reminding the husbands to love his wife like he loves himself. Well, what does this love for self look like in husbands? I would ask, what are husbands passionate about? Because often what we are passionate about reveals what we really care about, and what we really care about reveals what we really love, and what we really love is how we live our lives. And I am sad to say that often husbands love the wrong things way more than their own wife. For example, sports, entertainment, and even their job they put above their wives. 
Why do husbands love things like sports, entertainment, and even their own job more than their wives? Well, these areas give us a sense of purpose, a sense of significance, a sense of competition, camaraderie, importance, or sometimes just plain fun. For example, at work, we are affirmed by others. People tell us we are doing an amazing job or we get a raise because we are exceeding expectations. These are great blessings. Don't get me wrong. But if we're living for them, if we are worshiping them, if they become an idol in our lives and we focus on those things more than we do the Lord, that becomes a real problem. Because really what it's showing is our love for ourselves once again. We may get so consumed climbing the corporate ladder that we ignore the one we are called to love, to cherish, and sacrifice our life for. As Paul says to husbands, let each of you love your wife like you love yourself. What is it when I, when I love myself more than my spouse? What is that called? Well, biblically, we could call it selfishness. It could possibly be pride. But it's under the, the general umbrella called Sin. The problem is sin, which leads to point number two and says a husband's love for self is sinful. Point number two says a husband's love for self is sinful. Self-love is still a real problem. It is sinful. It is rebellion against God because the more I focus on myself, the less I am able to worship God and actually love my wife. For example, I'm called to show perfect, pure, undefiled love to my wife every day. I mean, think about it. The Bible calls us husbands to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That means I'm supposed to selflessly give my attention, my energy, sacrifice everything I have for my wife because I am trying to honor, glorify, live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does that love actually look like? What is this, this love that husbands are called to by God? Well, let's start with a basic passage, John three sixteen, And we'll look at the first phrase of John three sixteen, and It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. So first and foremost, we see that God's love was first of all giving, right? And a husband is called to give of himself everything he has, again, for his wife. But secondly, we see that this love, God's love, reveals that God gave his best, right? God gave his perfect sons, his son, as we as husbands are called to give our best to our wives. Our wives are not second to our children. Our wives are not second to our job. Our wives are surely not second to sports. Thirdly, God's love was sacrificial. It costed God his very precious son. Husbands' love for their wives should take much energy, much work. When we lay our heads on the pillow at night, we should be exhausted because of our love and our service to our wives. Fourthly, Christ gave his life out of submission to the Father. Christ gave his life 
out of submission to the Father. He listened to everything the Father said, right? In the garden, he said what? Not my will be done, Father, but yours. Husbands, we are called to submit to Christ the same way Christ submitted to the Father. That means God's word is our authority instead of ourselves, right? Which leads to point number three. A husband leads his wife with a heart disposition of love. Point number three says a husband leads his wife with a heart disposition of love. Husbands, are we learning to love our wives more like Christ? Are we growing in in learning to do things for our wives because of our love for them? I say learn to love because it's a process. We already established that we naturally are all bent to love ourselves. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not natural to love God and others. That means it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes work. What are some of the practical ways we can work on loving our wives? Well, Stuart Scott, he has a phenomenal book called Exemplary Husband. And he gives a list of ways a husband loves his wife. And he gives us just some practical ways to do that. So I want to give that to you now. And I'm going to go through eight of them quickly here. He says, number one, prefer her over yourself. Prefer her over yourself. Number two, show interest in her interests. Number three, encourage her with words of appreciation. Number four, spend time with her. Have fun with her. Talk to her. Discuss life with her. Be interested. Have a real dialogue with her. Give her eye contact. Let her know you really care. I mean, as you think about these things that I'm discussing on this list, How easy was it for us to do this when we were dating, when we were courting our wives, right? But again, we were being fed emotionally. It was a lot about us then. But now it's about serving God and actually loving them. And now it takes work and effort for us to do. But we have to continue. Let me, I'm going to go off on another sermon if I don't stop there. So number five, help her when she needs help. Help her when she needs help. Number six, treat her like a lady. Hold doors for her. Clean off benches where she's going to sit. Put out her chair for her to sit down. Number seven, show her non-sexual affection. Number seven, show her non-sexual affection. Number eight, lead her spiritually. Pray with her. Read God's word with her. See to it that both of you are involved in a good biblically-based local church where you're using your gifts and abilities. And guess whose responsibility that falls on? Not the wives. It's the husband's responsibility to lead in getting them involved in a good local church and leading spiritually. It's not the wives' job. It's your job, husbands. It's my job. Our love for our wives is revealed in our actions or lack of actions. Our lack of love for our wives is revealed in our actions as well. And we can see from the above list, we can actually start working on some of these things today at this very moment. We can encourage her. We can help her with those projects that are way overdue, right? 
We can lead her spiritually, pray with her, study God's word with her, lead her. But let's go back to Ephesians 5.33. So I'm going to turn my attention to the wives, not because I want to, but because Paul does here. So we're going to look at the wives a little bit here as well. And Paul says this, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. And the Greek word for respect comes from the Greek word phobio, which can be translated as a fear of, be in awe, revere, reverence for. This respect carries authority behind it. It's not like the wife should just think well of her husband. No, that's not what it's saying. But she should have a reverential awe or respect for her husband. That's what it's saying. And I want to get a fuller picture of what is actually trying to be said here. So I want to look at the same passage in the Amplified Bible. Ephesians 5.33 says this. Let each man, without exception, love his wife as his very own self, and let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband, that she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates him, esteems him, and that she defers to him, praises him, and loves him exceedingly. As love is an action for the husbands. Respect is an action that is supposed to be played out in the wives as well. This respect is not based on how wives you are feeling. It's tied to your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I going to obey God or am I going to give in to my feelings? Her relationship with God will drive her to respect her husband because she wants to obey and please God. God's word is her authority as well as the husband's. And I know this will surprise the wives. I know this is going to be a real shocker. But often husbands can be selfish. They can sometimes be really prideful. They can really be often mean at times. And they can be very weak. I mean, I know because I've done all these things in my marriage, my wife can, can vouch for that. But it boils down to the fact that husbands are sinners. So if your respect is measured on how faithful your husband is to you and how great of a husband as you're thinking, okay, Christ and my husband, Christ and my husband, right? That's not going to work. That's not what it's about. As we talked about last week, it's positional respect for your husband right because you're called to because of the position he is in as husband which leads to point number four a wife follows her husband with a heart disposition of respect a wife follows her husband with a heart disposition of respect wives let me ask you a few questions to gauge how you are doing respecting your husband. And again, I'm going to go back to Martha Peace's book, Excellent Wife, because it is the best book out there, in my opinion, for wives. And these are some of the questions that she asks. Number one, do you treat your husband in private as respectfully as you do a boss, a church leader, or someone you highly esteem? Number two, do you speak to your husband in a condescending, put-down manner? 
for example, what's the matter with you? Or my dad would have done it differently. Or can you do anything right? Number three, do you bring up your husband's shortcomings to others? Number four, do you respect his request by trying to do as he asks, even if it doesn't seem important to you? Well, another area that reveals our lack of respect and love for our spouse is revealed in also our communication, specifically when we are in an argument with our spouse, right? When we are in conflict. So let me ask you a question. What should be the goal when we face marital conflict? What should be the goal? Should the goal be to better the relationship? Should it be to work on the problem? What should be the motive, the heart behind dealing with conflict? Well, this leads to point number five. Conflict is an opportunity to see within ourselves. Conflict is an opportunity to see within ourselves. Scripture makes it very clear that we have a hard time seeing ourselves rightly, accurately, correctly. But conflict often reveals what is inside of us, who we really are. James 4, 1 and 2. Why don't you open up to James 4, 1 and 2 as we'll look at this passage for a second. James, we have to remember, is a general epistle that went to all the churches in the surrounding area. And he says this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your desire, it is not this, that your passions are at war within you. Your desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Let me read that again. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. God's word asks the very question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And of course, James says, well, it's because sometimes we get tired, right? Or other times we're just stressed. That's why we fight. Or no, the other really good one that James is talking about is personality clashes. Is that what he says? Is that what he says here? Oh, wait a minute. Those are just the excuses we use when we're in an argument, right? That's what we use, right? That's not what James says because God's word says the reason why we fight and argue is because of our own inward self-motivated passions and desires. As the NLT version in James 4.1 says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Or other translations say the selfish desires at war within you. There is no other place conflict happens more than in marriage. And James says the sin that comes out of us is revealed when we're in conflict. What we want, 
what we think we must have, what we think we need, trying to prove that we are right, trying to be understood. This all comes out of us when we are in conflict with our spouse. And these aren't by themselves because they're actually a part of heart issues like pride, anger, fear, justification, selfishness, worry, deception, rage, bitterness ooze out of us when we are in conflict with our spouse. But it's not only what we say, it's how we say it. Our tone, our body language. For example, one spouse says to the other, we need to take a break, you're getting angry. And the other Spouse, with a beet red face, responds with his eyes bulging out of his head, I'm not angry. I'm just a little frustrated. But now that you say it, I'm starting to get angry because you said I was angry. Again, Scripture tells us that the anger, the rage was already there. And the argument revealed what was already inside of us. God put us in a situation to see the ugliness that pours out of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, you can just jot this down, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The King James says, for the springs of life part, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the issues of life. Do we recognize that conflict draws out what is already inside of us? Are we guilty of blaming our spouse when we lose our temper. Do we say things like, I wouldn't have gotten so mad if you would be more responsible? Or, I wouldn't call you names if you would just listen to me. Or, I would be more loving spouse if you would just respect me. In essence, we blame shift. That's what we're doing. We blame our spouse for our own bad or sinful behavior. It is our hearts that caused us to say and act the way we did. Which leads to point number six. Conflict gives us opportunity to glorify God. Point number six says conflict gives us opportunity to glorify God. We naturally think of conflict as a negative experience as most of us avoid having to deal with conflict even in our own lives. I mean, maybe we wrong our spouse or, or they wronged us or there's a misunderstanding, but the truth is conflict is not something we look forward to in a marriage or in any setting. But biblically is an opportunity to be pleasing to God, to honor Christ, to walk in the Holy Spirit. Scripture says our goal, our aim, our purpose is to please God in all areas, all arenas of life. Westminster Shorter Catechism asks a great question, and they say, what is the chief end of man? Or what is the primary purpose of man? Or what is the goal of man? And I love the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or humanity's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or man's goal should be to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're shooting for in marriage. And that means when life is going smoothly or when 
we are going through trials, when life is full of blessings, or when we're facing many struggles, regardless of how life is going or how our relationship is going, we must choose to submit to the Lord and submit to his word as our authority and strive to glorify God even in conflict. How does God want us to handle ourselves with our spouse in conflict? Am I loving my spouse in conflict? Am I respecting and honoring my spouse when I'm facing conflict? In conclusion, we have the choice this morning to obey God's commands to love and respect our spouse. This includes conflict in marriage as well. We can trust Christ. We can honor our Lord even in conflict. I wonder if that is our goal for marriage, our goal for conflict, to glorify and honor our sovereign creator, Jesus Christ. We can trust Christ and we can honor him in our marriage. Husbands, your job is not to boss your wife, nor is it to be a passive weakling either. You are called to lead your wife in love, in strength, courage, and humility, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is not for your own benefit, nor for hers, but it is because you're called to glorify God in marriage. Wives, your job is not to nag your husband or to act like a doormat. You are called to respect and show much reverence for your husband. And it's not because he deserves it, but that God's word calls you to it because of your love for Christ. May we have Holy Spirit-filled marriages that are saturated in Christ the Redeemer as we learn to love God and others for God's glory alone. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, when we look at your word, when we recognize who we're called to be, it should humble us because we often are failing as spouses, Father. But we thank you for your wonderful grace that continues to be poured out on us in our struggles, in our failures, in our sin. But help us to be repentant and to move in a different direction. But to be mostly empowered by your spirit because within our flesh we can do nothing. That's what your word teaches. But with your spirit we can do all things. Help us to be men and women who live for your glory and your glory alone. Help us to be a church that is doing that. Help us not to be worldly and to live and try to just be a country club. But to be truly living for your glory. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen.